0: on the far side, got a man over to the end zone, Stills grabs a touchdown, Kenny Stills, what a yesterday man they're scared damn scared they're scared and that's not our advantage you get scared man scared team super job you're a under all Steven. right champions guys welcome yeah. to the budbury bob and beer podcast i'm your host Tommy here joined by my co-host Stephen brown Stephen it is what a tuesday weather has been pretty nice and really cool out last night was fantastic how are you doing today?
1: I'm good. I, I love the weather right now. Uh, I know it's only down, like, what, not even 10 degrees, but
0: just it just feel feels like, like
1: a, a cold know, front.
0: Out of hell. It's nice. I mean, yeah. yesterday, I didn't like, and you know, like you guys, everybody listening to this podcast, that's in Oklahoma, knows how nice it was yesterday because there was a cold front that came through and everything dropped to the 70s at night. So where it's porch weather, like, you're just hanging out in the back deck, so uh, oh, yeah, I mean, like, but, golfing, like even today,
1: was, bearable. Felt great. I golfed terrible, but <laughs> it, was, it was nice outside, so that was a plus. Yeah, uh, do you do you hydrate? Uh, on the golf course, yeah, they have like water jugs every three holes you can partake in or beer.
0: Have you have you had a really? Because I'm not a familiar i don't really play golf i actually have never played actual golf i've played mini golf and stuff like that um what is your worst golfing experience oh man
1: not really a golfing experience we're on the the range probably last week or two weeks ago something like that and i had a buddy with me we're just hitting some some range balls up there and he doesn't have clubs or anything he's starting to get into it kind of like i am and I hand him this old driver and, uh, you know he's hitting it and I'm sitting down to get my shot ready and I just go, he goes, Oh shit. I go, what's going on? He goes, the, the head of the club flew off and I guess he just snapped in the, the head of the club was like 30 yards into the range and I was like, just leave it. <laughs> Who cares? Probably the, the worst, but usually when I'm around water, I'll find water pretty fast. Oh, okay. So I get curse.
0: It makes me think of happy Gilmore.
1: It's a great movie. Kind of. Yeah. That's, that's my form anyways.
0: <laughs> All right. Well, we get, we got stuff stuff to talk about. We fall camp is on going into the second week. I believe recruiting has been on. Um, they've, it's a lot to talk about like guys making their decisions uh, Going to talk about certain positions, then go off into the new Big 12 and even into cultural playoff talk. So quite a bit on the docket tonight. Um, we Oklahoma has secured the commitment of the most recent guy at offensive tackle. You've got Josh Isosa, who's a three star guy. Um, he's got the measurables. He's definitely he's like six foot six foot three, like three hundred five pounds, somewhere around there plays for Edmond Santa Fe. Uh Steven, what do you think about this guy? What do you think about the the commitment in general?
1: Yeah, I don't think many people got excited about it um uh, because it is a three-star offensive lineman. Everyone wants, everyone wants to see Bill Beeden get, you know the four and five star guys, but uh I so sad of Edmond, Oklahoma, my hometown. Uh a lot to like on tape. I mean, he's a project like most any other offensive lineman outside like three or four or five stars you can start right away, but um uh, good feet broad broad kid like he's he's wide so um he fits right in there with bill bead he's a mauler um i think he has a pretty decent motor uh the one thing where you kind of like see you know okay this guy's a project is with his hands um not too not too quick with his hands i think he, he gets gets away with some holding here and there but uh there's just a lot to like as far as like the frame the footwork um even just the bend, like he's a pretty athletic dude for his size. So mm-hmm. you can tell what Bill, Bill beating Bill likes right there. Just a prototypical and, kind of project, you know, two years later, he'll pop up and he's like, God's oh, a dude. So I
0: like and it. That, that that's what my entire thing was on. I was like, okay, he's not the most polished, um, but he definitely has the measurables. He's got the, he's got some quick twitch in his feet and seems like a guy that with, Could be a role player and definitely within a rotational spot. I could see definitely in the future. And Caden Durham, another name that's been closely linked with the Sooners, down to a decision. OULSU. It seems as if LSU has surged and taken the lead in that recruitment. I think a lot of people kind of recognize that because. They've been able to offer him a track situation as well, a spot on the track team. But we were talking about this before the podcast and also just talking about like putting up a paywall of like the comments you guys don't hear that we make. And I think that would be exciting (laughs) content for everybody. Um, And well, not everybody, but. There's like some sort of idea that this could swing the other way with a last ditch effort. What what was your thinking behind this? Because we had the same
1: thought. Yeah. I'm not going to hold my breath that that he's not going to land at LSU, Um, but there's a situation. I I think we'll, we'll touch on it later in the podcast where, you know, maybe the numbers open up a little bit where, um, you know, LSU can sell Durham on being the only running back in this class. You're the dude, you're gonna bulk the carries. Whereas Oklahoma's running back class, uh, pretty stacked even for for like the past two years. Um, so it's a crowded room, maybe it thins out a little bit here. So maybe that opens up some things as far as you know, I know you think you're gonna get buried on the depth chart, but now we're down a guy and that's your spot. Mm -hmm. So if you want it, let's take it. Um, but we'll see. I think, I think it's more than that. Like LSU, obviously, you touched on with the track. Um, LSU's got a pretty good reputation with duncanville high so there's more things going against oklahoma there but it's worth watching
0: and lsu has been historically like a very good head track school as well and so that has to play in the decision making as well as well in it and uh but no yeah and we'll talk about it later of course like like you mentioned like there may be an opening slot (laughs) maybe more room uh, and you know, if you know, if you know, if you know, you already know. But uh, we'll talk about it in a little bit on the podcast. Tell me about Michael Bogan, uh, Mike Boganowski. Um what, what are your thoughts?
1: Yeah, the number one player out of Kansas, the safety. Um, I still think he's gonna be a linebacker, but uh, most everyone has him projected as safety right now. It looks like a KSU, Kansas State um, versus OU. I'm not ready to write off Kansas yet, just yet. I think Kansas kind of made a move um last week we'll see if that kind of sticks but um Oklahoma does have some work to do if it is Kansas and Kansas State um in that recruiting battle to the end so I think where Kansas State I think they have the family um obviously Kansas State you know they can develop some guys here and there they, they've had some success um but I think where OU is kind of falling behind us with the family so if they can sell the Boganowskis especially his dad on you know becoming a sooner, I think Oklahoma's in pretty good shape there. But right now it's it's 50-50, pretty even with the uh, OUN uh Kansas State.
0: I wonder if Oklahoma do you think Oklahoma is selling him on a cheetah role or just selling him on the idea of he can realistically be what he wants? if like whatever direction he can go and they like, I do you think they're selling him on a multitude of positions or a specific, a specific role, like a cheetah role where you are like that special made up position.
1: Yeah. It makes sense if he was a cheetah, cause he does move really well for his size. I think he's about six, four, um, you know, lower 200. So he does fit that kind of mold of a cheetah and he can come up and hit. He's got the linebacker, um, thing down. So, I don't think he's a true safety, but if they were like, Hey, you want to play cheetah? It would fit right away. I think he's the perfect, uh, prototype for that. And he's from Kansas. So that helps.
0: And you think that with the whole Brent connection and Kansas and him being like super tied to those roots, that would help. So it'll be interesting to definitely see about it. And we, now we got to talk about the next, this next guy, his, his favorite. Day is, is a week is we're recording Tuesday evening
1: a little less than a His week.
0: Commitment day is about 6 days away, yeah.
1: Should to be the 14th yeah, the 14th, day. right?
0: Yeah. And so yeah, for on the 14th, Williams, uh Waneri it seems to be going just like a lot of directions. Some people will say it's it's really always been the sooner's direction. Some will say that Oklahoma Uh, up the ante a little bit and tried to make ensure it was going the direction do you have any thoughts that missouri or maybe an outside team uh like georgia is up in the ante again because his commitment date is soon yeah
1: i mean i said a couple weeks ago in the discord i was like you know well, this is when his uh, decision date was August 1st. So I was like this last week, you know, there's gonna be some twists and turns. It's gonna be bumpy. It's not gonna be a smooth ride. So that's kind of the, the story for all these five star guys. So. Um, right now, it seems like it's OU Missouri with Missouri, probably maybe inching out an in elite. I am can't be certain there, but, uh, you know, if Georgia came in offered some money, I wouldn't be surprised And Georgia, obviously with the two national championships and obviously a lot of, uh, NFL production there as well. So that would not be a hard decision for Williams Swinari. But it sounds like Brent and, and Bates and everybody has a great, great uh, relationship. The NIL offers, I think, when you look, even if you go back to, like, David Hicks, he had a pretty substantial NIL offer. and I think they've surpassed that. So uh, it's kind of night and day, whereas, you know, Texas A&M offers a offer way up here where OU's oh, just not going to touch it at all. I think they're willing to kind of get close to Missouri's offer. I don't think they're going to go above it like some people are suggesting, but if they can just bridge the gap where, you know, you make X amount of money and you have these relationships and you feel comfortable here, I think they can win it out.
0: I can't wait until we start talking about recruitment in terms of actual contracts and actual amounts of dollars because, like right now it's unknown, right? We just know that they're getting these massive NIL packages and that's fine. Like I have no problem with that, but I don't like the understanding of like unknown. And I'm very curious, like, yeah. does that, it doesn't lead to a salary cap by any means, but uh it, it makes you more aware of like, Hey, these are the blue blood teams. These are the big money teams and yada, yada. And so I'm curious, like, when that will happen. Because it feels like it de- ultimately will. And what what do you think?
1: Do you think it ultimately yeah. will? I mean, even if you go public with these figures, and obviously for, like, a lead defensive lineman, you're looking upwards of $500,000. Um, and even higher, you can get close to the millions. So it just like kind of depends go... on what the school values it at. But yeah. even if they make it public, like... Let's say there's a salary cap. There's always going to be an under the table thing where sure. schools are trying to get ahead. Sure. So, I mean, I don't think a salary cap really fixes anything.
0: And and I, I don't think they would put one on there. <laughs> um, But it would just be wild to like pull up a depth chart and just to see like their official NIL dollar amount. uh Just do, like per season or like whatever it is that season. Because I feel like it's heading that direction, which I don't have a problem with, but it's really intriguing. And so, speaking to, to Williams Winery, you know his, like you said, the recruitment is going to be a bumpy one for pretty much all parties involved. Yeah, all parties are confident, which is it's created the most weird exchanges from uh, Missouri fans. Um, because I mean, Oklahoma fan as as an as an Oklahoma fan, I can say I never think about the Missouri Tigers. But they are like really mad and upset a lot. But do you think that that has anything to do with? And of course, uh, this comes from Colin Kennedy. He put in a crystal ball, uh, as you know, assuming and saying and suggesting that Nigel Smith, also another defensive lineman, would be going to OU. Do you think there's any connotation or any relation? Uh, correlation would be the right word there any correlation there regarding a crystal ball specifically today after what six days left before the actual announcement between uh for williams winery
1: you're talking about like uh if they land nigel smith they won't land winery or vice versa that's correct kind of no. Uh, I mean, Nigel Smith has always been a take for Oklahoma. They've always pretty much been out front for at least the last five, six months. So sure. it's nothing new. Like, Winary would, would know about it. I think they would make those plans pretty clear. And, uh, I mean, when you look at those edits that are out there that the the recruits retweet, and it's all those silhouettes and stuff, and people are trying to put it together. Winary and Nigel Smith are on there, too together so it's they know of each other they're in the same tweets you know so i think one would recruit the other so when airy somehow lands at oklahoma i think he would he would kind of push him over with nigel smith as well so i don't think there's any correlation they would take both Easily, it's giving
0: me just weird flashbacks like and yeah i think you mentioned it last week or so about how oklahoma at one point had colton Vasick already committed and then an array of like really highly touted four star and five star guys on the defensive line, and Oklahoma ends up getting like none of them, right, or getting like one of them. Um, and it doesn't seem like that this year, especially with Oklahoma, especially with David Stone. Uh, but it's just really intriguing to think that Oklahoma can recruit this level this soon. Of course, they're gonna everybody knows they're gonna get an SEC patch next year. Uh, but it's just super intriguing to think about that. And so we haven't talked about it. We skipped over him, David Stone. He's a battle with everybody. Everybody in the country wants him. You know, Miami's there, Oregon's there, A&M. We, everybody always assumes it will be the be, be the big one. Florida, Michigan State, where, you know, Michigan State fans, thought they were getting David Stone for a minute, they're, they're not. Um, I mentioned this to you again before the pod, that it felt like Oklahoma's recruitment of a new head coach and Brent Venables that David Stone and OU – despite the fact that, you know, David Stone and word out there with other teams, yada, yada, um, but that the background noise was always recognizing and acknowledging David Stone in Oklahoma and that I think he ultimately ends up uh, in Oklahoma sooner. What are your thoughts just on what he can do to change this defense? Because I think he starts when he comes in Um, and also just his recruitment in general.
1: Yeah, as far as his recruitment, I don't think there's anything new out there. David Stone's been pretty quiet. I think he's kind of getting to that stage where he may have made a decision already, and now he's kind of going through the motions of, i got to let these coaches know, but obviously I don't want to give my decision away. Like, I want people to tune in. I think he's doing it on CBS or something. It's got to be a big announcement if it's David Stone. So uh, he always wants to build up the anticipation, but at the same time, he's going to have to wind things down where he's going to have to say, you know, thanks for everything you've done for the past. 12 months, I'm thinking I'm going to go somewhere else. So I think he's playing it pretty quiet, pretty close to the vest. So uh, nothing new in the recruitment as far as him just changing the game. I mean, he's a guy that's incredibly athletic, uh, a body at 6'4", I think he's 280. So you have to think he's going to push that 300 pound mark um, eventually once he gets in that strength and conditioning program. Mm-hmm. And he's a guy that, I mean, he's just more powerful than what they have on campus. It's as simple as that. He's just more talented. He's this guy that, that doesn't come along very often, especially if you're Oklahoma and you struggle at, at recruiting defensive linemen in particular. He, I don't want to see he's a generational guy. Because he has a lot to prove once he gets on campus, but he's in the conversation.
0: Yeah. And he, he's an IMG and he's starting. And so he has some pretty lofty expectations to fill if he does end up in Oklahoma sooner, but it seems like he will end up in Oklahoma City at the end of the day, and then you also mentioned here Dominic McKinley. Tell me about him.
1: Yeah, the number one prospect out of Louisiana. Uh, not going to be an easy kid by any means. I think a lot of people read that LSU. I mean, they've struggled with the relationship. Obviously, their defensive line coach that they hired in May um, has been LSU's whole recruiting
0: has been like somewhat weird this year. Yes, it's been a little. Weird. Usually, they cut off the state,
1: but yeah. It's, it's just a little bit off, and it, maybe it's just Brian Kelly still getting his feet under him after a year. Um, still practicing that Cajun accent. I hope so. I kind of like it. I kind of <laughs> like that he just commits to it. Like, at first, I was like, come on, Brian, but now I was like, you know what? If you're going to do it, just go, all, all, out. I'll go all, yeah. all out on that one, so. But uh, McKinley, I think his top three to fours, OU, LSU, Texas, and probably Texas A&M, so... Um, right now, it seems more like an OU-Texas battle, but obviously LSU being there so close to uh, his home, he lives like an hour away from Baton Rouge. So uh, it's going to be tough, but I think OU leads, they obviously have a really good relationship with the family. Um, as far as money, I, I would assume that they could compete in the NIL just like they're doing with every other battle with David Stone and Williams McNary and pretty much everyone across the board. Oklahoma is... Being very competitive money wise, so uh, they got a chance. So you're
0: telling me Oklahoma is not poor? So I'm going to get poor that on this record. year. Maybe next year they'll be
1: poor again. Who knows? That you
0: know, it, you you never know what could happen. The the market could bottom out, or because when oh the nil came became a thing, I was told Oklahoma was poor. They weren't going to be able to afford anybody. The recruiting well, Lincoln was be said in Nebraska couldn't recruit. Yeah, and apparently, you know, they're already in the top 15, I think, for several recruiting services, if not like hovering right around there, and they're definitely reaching for the stars on several more of these really, 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 really highly rated prospects. And so let's go into fall camp because Oklahoma has certainly uh, been at work for the last about week. Is there any first impression that you're getting from this team, from what you've seen, what you've heard, et cetera? Because I thought the Danny Stutzman interview with uh, Teddy Lehman and Gabe Eichert was actually a pretty decent one to listen to for some insight from Danny Stutzman's point of view. But what is your thought and early impressions?
1: Yeah, I was talking to someone pretty close to the program, and this is, I think this is right before they went out for their first practice, so this is kind of before um, Thursday, Friday, and obviously up to today, uh, but he was like, you know, defensively, he kind of related to, I guess, a couple of years ago when, when Lincoln was still coach, and you had Baker Mayfield, you had Kyler Murray, and those guys were leading those seven-on-sevens and getting everybody on the same page. Now it's kind of the opposite. Like you have Danny Stutzman out there leading the defense. They're going through drills. They're doing their seven on sevens. They're going through formations. They're going through fronts. You have a player led practice, but it's defensive, not just an offensive practice. So, I thought that stood out. I think as far as you look at some of the the footages come out that people that go to practice, um, the defensive linemen they look, I mean, especially in the interior, they look a lot larger than they used to. Yeah. And I know that people say that every year, but it's pretty noticeable when you have a guy that's you know used to watching our forwards at 280 in the Big 12, and now you have like six or seven 300 pounders out there. It's it's impressive.
0: It's it is it is noticeably different. That and and like you mentioned, like yeah, they do play player led stuff on offense, and it's pretty simple to do so. Uh, but to have play led stuff, especially like with Danny Stutzman being one of the guys, he mentioned like you mentioned Bowens out there, even to just doing player led things, understanding the playbook, which is about like four inches thick. Way better.
1: Yeah, he uh, mentioned though, like uh, I mean, it's not just plays; it's like where are you going to put your hands on this play?
0: Yeah, like if and, you're a
1: DB, like we're in this formation, you want to drive this guy on the inside, the outside, to the safety. Like where are your hands going to be? Where are your feet going to be? So it's it's the smaller details. It's not just going through the plays.
0: Yeah. Even just like where, where are your hips aligning and where are you splitting the hips as far as a defensive end as a linebacker or a defense, as defensive lineman, interior defensive lineman as a linebacker, what's going to give you the best angle at the play and even small things like that, which I think is going to really pay dividends for this team. And again, like I have their schedule pulled up, this team should be undefeated by the Texas game. They play Arkansas at home, SMU at home, Tulsa. That's going to be a home game. There's more OU fans that are going to show up. Cincinnati, the bottom kind of just fell out, but they do go to Cincy uh, the week after. Iowa State, kind of same situation. Matt Campbell, I think, is regretting his life decisions, Uh, but it's <laughs> Iowa State's at home. No and, then, this quarterback. and then it's October 7th, and it and it's... It, the Red River Shootout, Red River Rivalry, whatever the hell is being called these days, Oklahoma should be undefeated because of what my early impressions are, is that the defense will be vastly improved. Like you mentioned, they're larger, and they're not more just larger. They are stronger. DeJounteary is probably the most legitimate nose tackle they've had in a long time, and he will work his way up the depth chart. He's not going to be just a depth piece. I think he'd be very valuable. Um, the linebackers, they're still young. I mean, outside of Danny Stutzman and Jaron Kanick is still not proven. Shane Witter, I know is getting reps, which is, I think is interesting. And just the, the safeties. Oh my gosh, there's so many options and there's so many different skill sets that are there that just, I mean, we've said this before, but it's just different this year. There are so many different skill sets on this team, on this defense in particular, and we haven't even talked about the offense yet. And I get this theory, the impression that the defense is going to take a leap. Now it's not hard to take a leap from where they were last year, especially on third downs and uh, backwards. Yeah. So it's, it's, it's hard not to take a leap. Um, But I'm not I'm not surprised that they end up top 50, top 45, top 40. I mean, look at the defensive line, totally revamped, especially if people are able to stay healthy. I look at Danny Stutzman and whoever else is that other linebacker. That's the question mark. And then I look at the secondary and quite frankly, like I'm not. I'm not upset about it i mean ginger williams i think is a great cornerback and everybody knows woody washington everybody knows billy bowman Keith lawrence reggie pearson heck even peyton bow and macari vickers everybody knows those guys and so i think that's pretty significant um and something that i think is important was the differences between dylan gabriel and jackson arnold three thoughts
1: Yeah, I think I'm ready to buy into the talent. I was always kind of pumping the brakes on Jackson Arnold, because I think he is a pretty good player. But when you're a five-star and you're you're showing up to Oklahoma, obviously you have the expectations of, you know, Baker Mayfield was here. Kyler Murray was here. Jalen Hurts was here. uh, Caleb Williams was here. So even if you're a five-star, you're being held to a standard that's, I mean, higher than most any other school out there. Um, And I was kind of hesitant to buy into that Jackson Arnold stuff, but After kind of hearing some things on what he's been doing this summer, uh, just kind of the throws he's making, I'm I'm ready to buy in. I think he's going to be an extremely good player for Oklahoma. I don't know if it's going to be this year, though.
0: Do you see a scenario where he, where Jackson Arnold, does not redshirt and is a sophomore in the SEC, though?
1: yes i do um okay i mean it's not just injury i mean if you look at dylan gabriel if he's not out there you know between the 20s making plays where they're pretty comfortable on offense it, in the red zone obviously you get it maybe they make a jackson arnold package there but if he's not moving the offense like he did last year there's there's some trouble and you just make that call right away to put jackson arnold in so we'll and so see I, but...
0: that's my thing like <laughs> oklahoma arkansas state Oklahoma, <laughs> Oklahoma, uh, oh, uh, who, who else did I just say? Uh, I think SMU will give them a little bit more trouble than they think, but Tulsa, yeah, uh, but Oklahoma can state and Oklahoma, Tulsa, Jackson Arnold should, should definitely be getting in those games. And I lean on more the idea of creating those packages for him. I don't know if it's a if it's an inside the red zone situation that Landry Jones suddenly stopped losing all of his touchdowns, they all went to Blake Bell once they got inside the 15 (laughs) or the 10 Um, as much as it is just certain packages. They want him to run. And um, I, I see it being beneficial, but at the same time I could see it being a thing that doesn't happen until the Texas game. Like he has a small package here, small package here, whatever. And then they throw wrinkles in the game where he comes out for stuff that's like, on, like you mentioned, inside the 20 um, instead, or something like that. I can see ways in which he contributes to the game that, like Kyler did with that last year with Kyler and Baker together to 2017, I believe, um, where they both were on the field occasionally. I could definitely see that being a thing but i don't i don't know i know arnold is that
1: like holds me back is you hear all the coaches especially like jeff levy and even dylan gabriel talk about situational football and how they've emphasized that over the off season so they know where they struggled and they've worked on it so i mean i could see dylan gabriel just kind of winning the job and he's the starter throughout the entire season has a pretty good season for oklahoma Mm -hmm. um you know even you know wins a big 12 championship so I can see both are true, but I think the leash is smaller on on Dylan Gabriel than a lot of people think.
0: Yeah, and I think that the talks behind closed doors that Jackson Arnold was definitely, he definitely earned his fifth star for a reason uh, are valid. I mean, the idea of him throwing guys open in comparison to dropping some dimes here or there are two different things. And so let's go to the guys right in front of them because I think Gabriel feels pressure behind him. I think it's good pressure. And I think Jackson Arnold just being that talented enough to already kind of contribute in that sort of fashion is really good for Oklahoma anyway. But the guys in front of them are going to also be very dependent, as we saw in the spring game where Jackson Arnold got (laughs) apparently the guys from the local YMCA because every time he snapped the ball, (laughs) the defensive line was in the backfield. And so that's that obviously would not be the case if he were to be the starter, uh, as we saw at, in the very last drive that spring game. But offensive line looks kind of like as advertised for many people. I mean, uh, starting out, you got Walter Rouse, Savion Bird, Andrew Rame, um, you've got McKay and then Tyler Guyton. But there are other thoughts of guys like the Appalachian, Appalachian State guy, uh, Everett, Troy Everett, is that his name? Getting yes. some playing time uh, at in the <laughs> interior offensive line and maybe some others. How do you feel about the offensive line? I'm confident on them. I'm, a little, I'm actually a little bit bullish on them, especially Jake Sexton.
1: Yeah, I think – I really don't think there's any debate as far as the tackles with uh, Guyton and Rouse there, but I am watching the interior um, because you and I both heard the stuff about Troy Everett. Obviously, Um, Savion Bird's another guy that's been getting first-team reps uh, over Mattower, so I think that will make a lot of Oklahoma fans happy, but Mm -hmm. by no means is he he winning a job. And then Jig Taylor, obviously, in there as well. So they have a lot of things they're they're working with. Obviously, Bill Biedenboe is uh, pretty fluid. In the middle of that offensive line he's trying some things he's gonna see who's gonna step up obviously um but they have some options and i i think when you look at the and i think there's some tower fatigue within the fan base yeah Savion on bird can win that that job and he looks incredible um coming through this offseason. everyone kind of panicked when he dropped all that weight but i think he's he's put on most of it back and it's good weight too so that's going to make see, a lot of people happy, seeing Savion um, Bird out there. Do you see a
0: situation where the offensive line is everybody we just kind of mentioned, um, but somebody starting at center that isn't Andrew
1: Rame? Yeah, I think that that's possible. Obviously, with injuries and everything, but Troy Everett was brought in for a reason. I mean, let's not let's not pretend that they brought him to be a guard. He was a center at Appalachian State. He's a guy that they want to play center. So if Andrew Rehm is not being pushed the way they think he is, or if they think mm-hmm. they can do better, Troy Everett's the guy. Like, I, I think that's pretty clear. And I know they'll do some coach speak and say, oh, we like Rain, but we're trying some things here and there. He's absolutely there to uh, push Rain. And
0: this has been, again, like after like actual reports of, there being some friction between Rame and the coaching staff and him getting enough snaps. And so I'm just throwing it out there. I it, It's a possibility. And so going on to the guys to the outside, I mean, cause the offensive line, like you mentioned, it feels pretty solidified, especially at those tackle spots and really even like one of the guard spots. Um, but receivers, I know that I saw that, uh, of course, everybody's has probably already seen Gavin Freeman has been getting a lot of love from <laughs> Brent Brent Venables, but also his teammates. Uh, but also Drake Stoops is just a known commodity there. Um, and then what I actually I thought what I was, I thought was really interesting is uh Danny Sussman specifically also mentioned Andrew Anthony as being a guy that's been making plays as well. Um uh, you know my opinion on the receiver room. I'll believe it when I see it. What is your opinion right now? Is, is it the same?
1: It's mostly the same. I think Pedaway's looked pretty good. He doesn't look like a guy that's a true freshman, let alone a guy that came in in June. So mm-hmm. what
0: that's, makes you that's a
1: positive. I mean, just look at his physical build. Being a track guy, you think he'd be a little bit smaller, but
0: yeah, more He's, lean or he's got like a lot that? of
1: speed. Yeah but he's pretty physically built. Uh, we watched a little bit in the drills kind of, and he looks pretty good there. So um, and I think Brent Venables also mentioned that he went up and got a 50, 50 ball away like, in the starting like kind of team scrimmage, whatever. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, I mean, he's making some flashes here and there. Obviously people are talking about him. So I think he's a guy that probably didn't get some playing time pretty early
0: how and he's been a guy that people have been really bullish on since he's been on he's been on campus if i were to give you an over under of like 250 yards what would you take because it seems like he's been a guy that people have been talking about a lot like as an actual contributor not just competitive depth
1: i kind of want to take the over but then it's going to cut into my dj graham take from like two podcasts ago (laughs)
0: But I think what he, he like can get over two hundred
1: yards as a true freshman.
0: Yeah, I think mean, that's the thing. I, am thinking like if he has two big passes and a couple of routine ones here or there, and he breaks one off, like you know, it, it's already the numbers already add up. But it again, he's a name that has been consistently brought up. Drake Stoops, you know what you're getting. Jilu Farouk, still not kind of sure. Quieter.
1: Yeah, it's quiet. Not talked in... about unless he's brought up with Percy Harvin.
0: Yeah. Okay. <laughs> who 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 compared him to Percy Harvin?
1: It was Emma Jones. It was on the the first round interview. That's of interviews. right.
0: That's right. That that that's a that's a choice. I I think that, I, that quote was got like...
1: cut off though. I think he meant Percy Harvin with the ball in his hands because Farouk does have some speed. He has speed. But...
0: But completely different builds
1: and receivers. Different build,
0: yeah. <laughs> like Farouk, it, I'm it's he's it's surprising. He's he's got a very large physical build for a receiver.
1: Yeah, him and Andrew Anthony obviously is a pretty big dude, uh pretty big dude, too. So that's I mean, you look on the outside, we're talking about guys like Freeman and I mean is not huge. Obviously, Drake's tubes is pretty small, so you have those two dudes on the outside. That's, that's pretty good. They're both pushing six, three at least.
0: And you, you've mentioned this privately in conversation that, you know, hearing this much about Gavin Freeman is either pretty good news or really bad news. What are you, <laughs> where, where, where are you leaning? Cause that's been burned into the back of my brain until we see like the
1: first three weeks of this season. I'm just surprised, like, how much we talk about him. That's what I'm like, saying. On Twitter and all the videos uh and group chats. I mean, Gavin Freeman's brought up pretty much daily as a guy that's probably going to play a lot of football for Oklahoma. So it just doesn't make sense because he's not a huge dude. I mean, we saw him a little bit, but his, his biggest play was against UTEP. He wasn't yeah, making – I guess he had one against Kansas too, but sure. – he wasn't making just primetime plays when it mattered. So and, that's like and my it, biggest thing with like kind of believing the hype is like, where was he last year?
0: And that's thing, right? Like, we saw the big playability he had last year. We did see him. We we did see him get overthrown by Dylan Gabriel a few times, at least on a couple of bombs downfield. To be fair, Um <laughs> like he's also short, so like that's the thing. And I think it's also like it's it's important to recognize that he was committed to tech at one point. Emma Jones is there, and I I always want to say Emmett Smith. It's just knee jerk reaction. That'd be Um, interesting. But Emma Jones is there, and he and Gavin Freeman was a three star recruit. It's not like he's this. Guy that was was a no star athlete didn't have other offers um like scholarship offers he, and he walked on to Oklahoma and earned a scholarship and I think that has I think it says something about Gavin Freeman but I also I don't know what that also says about his athletic background I mean he's really speedy. He has some agility mobility, but hit, he I, I don't think his strides are long enough to have the most mobility. that's why i pause yeah. that he is a a shorter wide receiver yeah, he's got speed to burn don't get me wrong like he's a guy that can get it but he's also a dude that is short that you can't necessarily always trust him to win those 50 50 balls. Especially if he's in coverage.
1: Is it as simple as, I mean, Venable seeing what Hunter Renfro did at Clemson and what he meant to Clemson, being a walk-on guy and then, and then coming out and being one of their their star wide receivers. Is it just as simple as him wanting that again all over Oklahoma?
0: I don't think. I don't think you have a
1: you have a good story with a kid that walked on. And now he's making plays. Now he's like the go-to guy. Oh, really I feel like Hunter Renfro had just more of a role, I guess he was also
0: he was also bigger, but i I just think I, I don't think Brent would throw out anybody out there that wasn't the best that they had. like I don't think they would do that by any means that they're in the business of winning games because at the end of the day, like after a six and seven season, you can't afford not to. But he's getting so much buzz, not just from, like you mentioned, like Brent, but the other players. So he must be doing some in practice on those bubble screens, on those go routes, on those verts, on those flag routes, uh, on those post routes for him to be getting that much buzz. uh, I have no idea what's going on. I think I think it's interesting to out there. Um, And we haven't mentioned really Jaden Gibson who I know has been making good plays. We haven't mentioned. Um, oh, who else? Uh, Nick Anderson, who has had some nice moments here, or there, but that's, that's the thing. It Nobody like really knows some,
1: some decent weight. Cause he was pretty skinny coming into Oklahoma. Mm-hmm. So. Even with in the injury. Yeah. yeah. I think he's put on some pretty good weight there.
0: It's kind of, so kind of similar to his brother. He got injured and could put on a lot pretty of much muscle made a glass Yeah. Um, but it's, it's it's very hit or miss, it feels like, for the names that you hear. Like, oh, so-and-so had a good day the other day. So-and-so has been having some good days. It's not, like, a consistent other than, And if your name is Gavin Freeman, or you already know you're getting in Drake Stoops pretty much, and Farouk is still kind of a mystery I, it's at the same time. It's interesting to think about that like that. Running backs. You've got Giovanni Barnes. You've got Gavin Sawchek, You've got uh, Tawi Walker. You've got Caleb Hicks. We talked about earlier about maybe there being room for a guy like, what, like a like a positional chance in Caden Durham, as I mentioned earlier, because there might be a sudden scholarship open at a specific spot. Stephen, you want to talk about it, or yeah, how, how do you want to We just
1: bashed Marcus Major for the fourth season in a row.
0: It's, it, you know what's it's, what's really funny is that um in like the next
1: Adrian Peterson.
0: Yeah, that's don't let that man scout like ever. But but anyways, <laughs> it, it's just it's it's not that like we want to see players fail because people will always come back after this episode and be like, they're so mean to the Sooners. Like I don't like no. It's it's not that. It's just it's just the trends that Marcus Major he has not been consistently been on the field or been able to get on the field for off the field reasons uh whether they be personal Or injury, injury. to be fair yeah sure like they are they're, injury personal whatever's going on because we need to understand that they're not just like young they're not just like regular people they're young people and they just got to college out of high school and they're on their own and, you know so we need to acknowledge those things. But um, he just hasn't shown up and unless it's a bowl game and it gives you hope for the next. Oh, Marcus Major, maybe then like it's 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 a never ending thing that I'm surprised he's still on the team, to be honest. I'm surprised he's not. Kudos to him because he could
1: definitely transfer out and probably start for. That's what I'm saying. Like a program a decent program, too.
0: Yeah, or he could just pick one of the remaining two or three Pac-12 teams and he would start for them immediately. Like he's he's not a bad running back. Uh he's I think he'd be serviceable by some especially by some of the group of five teams. I think he'd be serviceable more than serviceable. But he's just not gonna be at that level at Oklahoma, especially with guys like Javante Barnes, guys like Gavin Sawchuck up up right in front of him. Um, and then we talked earlier about Caleb Hicks. How this coaching staff has been really been really high on him, and been kind of vocally really high on him. And yeah, yeah, sure, he's done some pretty nice stuff, but that also could be linked to another scholarship opening up. Is have you this? There's there's another guy still, in a club on his arm.
1: It's not hard to figure out who we're yeah. talking about. Uh. So we can only really want to see it's gonna be out there on it, you know. Yeah, it's gonna be out there eventually. So um we are watching Dalen Smothers, um, a guy that has not been practicing. You haven't seen him in any of the uh the practice clips, sure. Um, that kind of thing. So there is something going on there, we'll let it play out. But um, you know, at this time I just went and checked. He's still on the roster, so we'll yep. see what's going on. But it's worth keeping an eye on Dalen Smothers and, and kind of his situation moving forward.
0: And I think it's important to acknowledge the type of coach that Brent Venables is the type of patience he has with those players and the types of decisions he gives them. And again, like, again, this idea that, that he has an open door policy and he actually talks to the players about certain decisions and all these other things and gives them time and space to make those decisions. I mean, he's already had it with several other players that have either left or stayed And it's just another situation with him that will be out there relatively soon, which is why it's possible for Oklahoma to make a really last pitch to Caden Durham and say, hey, like, listen, there's another opening that you'd be guaranteed. I mean, like one guy already lost a spot that they thought could play early. Why not a guy like Caden Durham as well? And so going to tight end depth, which is non-existent. I mean, <laughs> it's bad. I, it's tough. It's it's tough. Like you can you? I can't envision any sort of the offense out there without Austin Stogner. And I, you know, Austin Stogner is gonna need to be out of the game. Like you know, you're gonna see Blake Smith a lot. And so, like, what are your thoughts? There's on one name that keeps that popping up,
1: and it's not gonna impress you too much. But it's the kid that he played a pretty good spring game it's a josh i do not know how to say it josh Fanul, something like that Uh number 80. he's a guy that i think i mean there's not a lot of competition out there but just talking to some of the people that were able to go to practice and and do the interviews he's a guy that some people think he's probably gonna play he's got a little (laughs) bit of potential i'm not gonna say he's gonna be a superstar sure but you know, if it's him or Blake Smith, it, it might as well just be Josh Newell because you know he's just more athletic than Blake Smith. Blake Smith has got a club on his hand; he's probably off by now, but yeah, didn't do shit at Texas A&M. For and Blake Smith's more
0: know. as like a, as a blocking tight end, right? He's a blocking guy. And this like is just all don't before
1: do that little Texas A&M for that long, and expect a guy to come in and catch ten balls like it's just sure. unnecessary. So. In Oklahoma's I'm, county I'm watching him. stars
0: that they that Davion Mitchell Davion Mitchell? No. Tight yes. end 2024. Davion Mitchell, yeah. Yes. Uh Devon Oklahoma's very Devon Mitchell. Uh, that yeah. like Davion Mitchell, I think is a basketball player. Uh Devon Mitchell um uh, <laughs> reclassified for 2024 instead of 2025. He will be a very much needed addition to the tight end room, especially next year's stogner exits as well. Tight ends, man. It's it's been it's been Terrible. tough for Oklahoma, like really bad. This is the worst tight end room Oklahoma's had in a long
1: time. Ooh, still watching the McIntyre kid. Yeah. And kind of see where he falls because he might end up being a linebacker. It's yeah. just gonna depends on where they want him, but he's got plenty of potential. He's not a huge guy, he's only like 220 right now, but maybe you get him involved so he can play next year.
0: Like, when has the tight end room really been not this great?
1: Probably 20, maybe 2014 when they had, uh, what's his name, McNamara. And that's pretty much all they had. Oh,
0: yeah, that's right. Cause Blake Bell was still like quarterback. He was still a QB. No, I thought Blake, no, Blake Bell, Blake Bell was still, was, was quarterback in 2013, but he transitioned to tight end 2014. Right.
1: Yeah, I'm thinking 2013,
0: but yeah, did 2013? It was McNamara because
1: James Tannehill would have been gone. So they just receivers, didn't even yeah. Tight end. That was a Sugar Bowl year.
0: Gosh, a decade
1: because they
0: didn't. Really that use feels really
1: weird. Any tight ends. It's ugh, good. And yeah, McNamara, didn't McNamara worked McNamara, out. They caught a USC, ball against he? Alabama, and everyone's like, "Here he is, the four-star tight end we've all been waiting for." And, and yeah, then he went to USC ball. and.
0: I think he had an okay
1: career there. Nothing crazy, but pretty decent. He bounced back.
0: But yeah, tight end depth. I think it's obviously going to be an issue, Um, especially for Stogner in late game situations. I I don't think he's a guy that you can play at a high snap uh, ratio. I I just don't think he is. And so I think, I mean, getting bodies in there.
1: gone not gone but he's not going to play this season
0: he's out yeah with injury you, Llewellyn you got to hope that he is ready healthy. for something yeah stays and stays healthy as well and so it it'll be it'll be tough I think I see a Oklahoma using a lot of four receiver sets this year instead of three receiver and tight end sets unless that that tight end is Austin Sogner. I, I think you see Oklahoma using a lot of lots of four here sets, And so going on to, <laughs> I didn't even see this uh, <laughs> yet. Yeah, so the last time, cause we've been, we've been talking about this. It's somewhere, or I've been talking about this in another, in a separate just group text that about Justin Broyles and that, how they, how, um, you know these people; they were looking at the safeties Oklahoma has and how the depth was with Key Lawrence and Billy Bowman, Reggie Pearson. You know it goes on. Robert Spears Jennings, so many to choose from, and uh, they they brought up Justin Broyles, and of course, Bookie slander has also been a thing, but. The last time I checked, I was like, "Oh no, he's still at Bears training camp." Because if you Google his name, of course, before when it was named uh, or announced, he is suggested he was a part of the Bears training camp. And then, like two hours later, Justin Broyles, or the next morning after Justin Broyles, is named a uh, GA, I think, a GA coach on staff at Oklahoma. Yeah, he's just an an assistant in some capacity. I don't know the official title. How do do you feel about that? I mean, homegrown, he was from oh, what high school was it?
1: Uh, John Marshall,
0: maybe. John Marshall is John Marshall, I think. Homegrown, four star John Marshall kid. Coming back to Oklahoma, obviously has familiarity with all of these players besides the freshmen. Thoughts?
1: I mean, I'm happy for him because yeah. Boris has always been a good dude. I think he's going to be a pretty good coach at whatever Pro- level he chooses. Guy. But people got to stop posting videos of it. Like, now it's not the time. Like, you just got kicked out of NFL training camp. You just. There's a lot of people, it sounds bad, but they're are happy that you moved on. Like you graduated and you're no longer with the OE program because they just don't want to see you get beat again. But he's going to be a good coach. I think maybe they should have hit it more like they hit with Buki. Like Buki was at USC for six oh, months year. until someone was, yeah. Yeah. At least, yeah. Until someone's like, yeah, Buki's a, he's a coach over there. Or like whatever assistant, student assistant, whatever you want to call it it's just too soon. And I think like the other thing would be because you're yelling at the same players that kind of watched you get destroyed by Justin Jefferson or against FSU and stuff like that. Like those guys are still there. And they don't forget. So I think like there should have been a little bit of a cushion there. Um, But I mean, I'm happy for him. Good for Justin. Just people need to chill out with the, the videos. Like we get it. He's on staff. Let's move on.
0: Yeah, it's I saw I saw all that stuff and him already at, at practice and stuff like that. Is, is he even allowed to be on the field? Like it depends on what kind of assistant, analyst, whatever you are. I think I don't he'll know. be on the
1: sideline, but obviously he's not a coach or anything, so he can't wear a headset.
0: Well, Jeff Levy was on Oklahoma sideline when he was on Baylor staff.
1: That's different.
0: <laughs> um Don't so ask me how, but it
1: is different somehow
0: it's pretty odd you know and now he gets to spend his time on the other sideline or now in the box i suppose <laughs> um so so brent talked about situational football in particular and i can't really, i can't identify the reporter's name that I was asking the question but they started off their question with you can't practice a pressure and the tension regarding situational football, like on a third and three, four and two, it's a situation, yada, yada. And Brent kind of cut them off. And then I said, you can't, Oh yeah, you can. And he repeated himself and said, yeah, yeah, you can. And then he goes on to basically say that coaches jobs are to create, to buy in for those moments together uh, to chase excellence. Basically you can definitely emulate that pressure over and over and over but it's up to the staff to do so and not just be like a player situation oh this is a situational drill third and three four and two four and one you can create that pressure for those things to to be understood and so what's your kind of takeaway from that quote because i thought it was an interesting quote as far as brent went because i would want my players of course we all know if you've ever played sports and athletes, unless you're like one of the best athletes that never take a playoff, quite frankly, that guys sometimes take plays a little bit easier than like others in middle school <laughs> guys, take, guys take plays a little bit easier than others on their bodies. based on like what they can give, of course uh, that it's different for every player. And, and that's why, I don't know. It just, it, it, it happens. And, um, what do you think of this quote? Because I thought it was interesting that wouldn't you want your player to play every snap like it was that third and three situation?
1: I like the quote. Um, I think my sure. one problem was with it, with it is that Brent Venables didn't just say, hey, it's up to me. Like, I think he kind of did in a roundabout way, but I sure. I wish he would have just been like, hey, I got to get my shit together. Like, because last year we were not good and it starts up here at the top with me and it, mm-hmm. it trickles down, so. He said, you know, as a staff, we gotta do better. But I wish Brent would have just been like, hey, in those those situations, do I need to call a timeout? Do I not need to call a timeout? You know, I gotta realize where I'm at, and then everyone else will just follow suit. So that was my one problem with it. But I do like where Brent's coming from. He's gonna own it. He's sure. not gonna shrug it off like uh like someone else out west would have done. So uh I mean it was good. I think he's he's handling the media pretty well. He's taken on the chin a little bit, but overall pretty good. Do you feel
0: like in any way that Brent believes that this is – and this is not an indictment of Brent. This is not uh, any, any bad talking about Brent. But do you think that he feels like this head coaching gig, this, this job is – more of a collective effort than his predecessor, maybe in not Lincoln, but Bob Stoops at, at Oklahoma. Cause Bob always linked uh, everything yeah. back to himself. That was always what he did. Do you feel like Brent feels like it's more of a collective effort between him and his assistants that are also assistant head coaches or whatever?
1: I, yeah. I think like he's given them some credibility in a way like, Hey, you know you're gonna move on two three years from now obviously they're gonna look back they're gonna talk to me i'm gonna say yeah jeff levy you know he was a big part of what we did here this he had this input he you know he did all this for us so i think in a roundabout way yeah he's giving them credit but at the same time you're looking at like what bob did and bob was like don't talk to anyone else just talk to me like Mm
0: -hmm.
1: it was my fault even if it wasn't my fault it's still my fault i'm the head coach so and some of that is that Bob Soups was a coach for a long time. He's was head coach at Oklahoma for what? Was it 18 years or something? 18. Yeah, 18. This is Brent Venable's second year as a head coach ever. So he's still maybe talking a little bit like a coordinator would talk about.
0: Sure. And I actually, actually was thinking about that the other day. I was like, I wonder if Brent is still getting used to not talking like a coordinator and thinking necessarily Brent. like a coordinator. Of course you, you're always going to think like that coordinator. That's always going to be in the back of your brain. That's what your bread and butter was, but like what, what ticks differently, what changes differently from being a coordinator to that head coach. And of course he's got two pretty decent examples from the last two guys he's served under, uh, to take tips from because both won national titles while he was on their staffs. And so, Going just further off into the distance as far as the Big 12, Oklahoma will no longer be in the Big 12. And this graphic is old since the last time I even uh, updated it. It has Colorado in question mark. Now it is Colorado, both Arizona schools, and Utah. And now Oregon State, Stanford, Cal, and Washington State, Alt-Wazoo, I guess. They're all kind of just sitting there, all sad uh, in the Pac-12, which is basically going to dissolve. The ACC seems like it's kind of in crisis mode, and so I was I was gonna say the Big Twelve are kind of like the island of misfit toys. Who win? Who like, who wins that conference? Is it not just like a battle between Kansas State, TCU, and Utah every single year, with occasional challenges from Houston? Oklahoma state and maybe UCF.
1: It's a pretty, it's parody level conference. Yeah. And that's why people like, they think it's me fun. And it here's where I think people kind of get away with it. And the people not being, you know, teams outside the big 12 we're talking about OSU fans, Baylor fans, you know, anyone in the big 12, the surviving big 12. They think, okay, you know, Oklahoma, Texas are out all of a sudden we got to step up and we can take their spot and we'll be like them. In reality, Oklahoma, and Texas aren't moving. Like they're still in Norman. They're still in Austin. Yep. They're still going to be your recruiting grounds. So like whatever bump you think you're going to get as far as recruiting, getting talent, you know, maybe they do so in the portal. I think that's where they'll find more success, but mm-hmm. I think recruiting going to get worse for these schools for, for at least yeah. most of them.
0: I think, and I, I think it is now playing field.
1: Like you look at uh, like Oklahoma taking these these walk-on, these preferred walk-on pluses, right? That yeah. would have gone to Oklahoma State, three-star guy. Now they're going to mm-hmm. take a walk-on offer, and NIL is going to cover the rest, and now they're at Oklahoma. So for free. Still. OSU just lost out on a three-star. That's now going to walk-on at Oklahoma. So I think that's going to get worse for some of these schools, like Texas Tech. I think Joey McGuire will do pretty good their recruiting as long as he stays there. Mm-hmm. And they'll find success, and maybe you know Lance Leopold stays around and he gets it going, Kleinman obviously he always finds maybe like those those gyms in the rough in Kansas, but mm-hmm. I think recruiting's gonna get worse,
0: like, and so, it's an exciting conference,
1: but like I don't sure, think yeah, like it's not gonna compete with a big Ten. it's not gonna compete with the s e c especially
0: like you're gonna turn on the t v and you're gonna see probably the most evenly matched conference as you can get as between brands um between product, between stadium size, between the type of footballs being played who who does win the conference the most often? do you think, or do you think it's just somebody made for two years here or there and somebody different so okay occasionally or do you think there's a, a pretty consistent winner maybe like a third of the time because i don't think anybody's going to dominate the league like oklahoma did
1: yeah i was listening to uh 365 sports i've been watching them quite a bit on youtube on their their streams um but they usually cover baylor so i mean they'll cover the big 12 with kind of an emphasis on hopefully baylor's the best team there and i think baylor is prime to kind of take over i think like they're Relationship with your mark, and I think they could push ahead as far as being like the leader of the conference, like kind of like oh, Oklahoma, shit. Texas. That's uh, and as long as they keep Aranda, I think they could probably be that team to watch every year. Like Kansas State, I love Kansas State, but they're every three years, they're not sure. consistent. I think Aranda, with the talent that he, if he holds on to the talent that he has now would be pretty competitive in the big 12, as far as being like that perennial contender for the championship.
0: UCF thinks they'll compete this year. So, you know, there's, there's always that.
1: If yeah, if UCF. the only thing is like, they don't have linemen. Yeah. They they're so far behind on linemen. We know either. Baylor can produce decent linemen.
0: Yeah. They don't have linemen. They don't have depth. And like, again, it's going to take, I think, be, I, I think they will have success this year. Don't get me wrong. I think they'll be bowl eligible, but I don't think they're going to have the year that their fans think they're going to have. If you yeah. would have, if, if Oklahoma would have stayed in this conference after adding not just Colorado, but both the Arizona schools and Utah, um, what destination would you have liked to go to the most?
1: The Arizona schools, they do have pretty uh, stadiums and backdrops and stuff like that. That but Arizona State's like, party. I'm not going out there to just burn to death at like 110 degrees. Sure. So, sure. Provo Cincinnati, I think, would be fun because you could make a weekend out of it, yeah.
0: Since they could, but you it's you not necessarily, make a weekend like, out of a college it.
1: atmosphere,
0: like, it's you can have a lot of fun in downtown Cincinnati, there's pro teams there, yada yada. Um, the issue with Utah is that it's Utah whether it's Provo or Salt Lake city, Salt Lake city is like, yeah, it's really pretty, but I, they go on vacation with like a loved one there. I wouldn't, I wouldn't go there for fun. I
1: don't know. That's fair. You could go to Colorado and just get incredibly high.
0: And sit on the mountains. See, see. So it's like Utah and Colorado combined. Now
1: thing is you have to watch out for bears. Last time I was in Colorado on the mountains and, a bear came up to my cabin. Uh,
0: and when you're inside the cabin, you're not supposed to poop your pants in, act like you're dead, right? You can just still act like an old person.
1: I think it's just to bang on the door. It's just to make some noise and scare him away. Yeah, you don't want to shit your pants. I think that's a sign of fear. I thought you're supposed
0: to soil yourself and uh, pretend to pretend like you're dead.
1: <sighs> I don't know. I've only survived one potential bear attack what
0: well, because like what if you slam on the door and the and the bear says well, okay we we'll won't play this game and he slams back
1: I mean you, you just picked the wrong bear to mess with I guess like it's just bad luck at that point
0: come climb out a window <laughs> that's what I'm doing <laughs> Jeez, if I saw a bear I'd probably freeze in my tracks and just like hope it didn't come near me and then call the authorities like they would do anything other than shoot a well, there's not tranquilizer dart yeah yeah it's not happening it's just <laughs> pick a window and pray and run i yeah. <laughs> that's what i would do um so <laughs> lately what i what i caught what caught my eye and i had to do a little bit of digging i it was like two years ago this article came out so the cultural playoff commissioners they mentioned it on twitter they leaked a report on, on two on three i think and they said that the model because of realignment because the acc is now kind of like not liquidating yet but there are rumblings of things not going so well the pac-12 is already completely almost eliminated they only have four teams left and they're no longer a power five team because look at the teams they have left let's be honest and so the commissioners come and they say hey this needs to be re-examined because you're essentially looking at a power four team besides the fact like the ACC just has Clemson, Florida state's on the rise and North Carolina on your occasional year.
1: Florida um, state's going to get that, uh, that Saudi money. God, <laughs> I saw it on Twitter and uh, what's his name? <laughs> In the cover three podcast was, but Elliot, <laughs> he's talking right. about it. That Saudi like, money.
0: L I V. If, if FSU, FSU is FSU.
1: serious about taking saudi money if they're syria they'll, they'll, they'll start killing some journalists here and there
0: oh my god
1: that's how you know
0: i think florida state fans that's that's would the they haven't clean. had a title since
1: since bowden no they had one with uh Jameis.
0: oh that's right that's right that they had one with jaded a uh, Jameis with the whole crab leg situation i forgot about that <laughs> that would
1: that. Yeah, that's a national championship no one remembers because it was that like and, a decade
0: ago Oregon.
1: Yeah. No, it was. Um, no. It was
0: Auburn. It was It was Auburn. That's right. Who played Oregon? Mart with Mart Mar- Mariota. Cam Newton. No, no, because that was
1: that was awesome. I think it was a playoff game. So this would have been like a BCS.
0: Somebody's gonna comment or tweet at us. I can't. I can't. I just can't remember. Um, God. But but the but the ACC is gonna melt down. Pac 12 is no longer basically in existence. And so they're saying, "Hey, basically all the good teams and all the highly touted teams are going into like three conferences. It looks that way that looks that way that the way it's heading or maybe four conferences. I mean, maybe the ACC does a much better job at bargaining. Than the Pac-12 did. Holy God, they did. They did a horror, horrific job of that bargaining agreement. I wouldn't. Yeah, it makes it sense. Bob a genius. Done.
1: Yeah,
0: for real. And that's hard to do. And so they mentioned that they need to be re examining the alignment, uh, realignment. And so this is what I had in mind. I had like kind of basically two thoughts that immediately passed in my brain. Tell me what you think about them. So the first one was I, I dig up the article uh, or dug up, I guess, is the word uh, from 2021. I think that said the playoff already voted to expand to 12 for 2026, but was strongly urged to try it in 2024. So I guess my two trains of thought were and tell me if like either of these maybe fits the narrative or do you think they should go in a different way or whatever is that. They are going. They were planning for four teams this year, but are thinking about expanding to twelve teams this year. Where the first four seeds get a bye for injury purposes, or, or you know, recovery, etc. Because that's really necessary if you're going to the playoff like that. Or if they're talking about expanding team- the the playoff to a full sixteen, kind of like kind kind of like just doing a whole gauntlet and seeing what comes out the other end because you know that in the sec you have like if you had the top four realistically looking back the sec probably should have had three teams in and looking back the big 10 probably should have just had of ohio state in and, and, and stuff like that um and so do you think the conversation is between one of those two or do you think it's something completely different
1: say they like the 12 team yeah like 12, 12 16
0: enough.
1: like what do you think I don't know what do you think 16. Best? like 12 that's just so many games if you go past 12 right because what's I mean, the
0: what's the appeal to to what's the appeal to 12 over 16 for your average football almost, fan consumer
1: that's I mean, the you feel the appeal I guess if you're one of those top teams, you get a bye week. Sure. So you're a little bit more fresh, but like 16, that's a lot of football. That's I know they're doing the NFL, football. but makes money. To do it, yeah. So I don't know. Like I think the quality of games would go down at least initially until sure. programs kind of adjust to that. But I mean, if you go 16, then let's say you have what For power sure four. Yeah. Every conference gets four or you do every conference gets three and then you know sprinkle in some some G five teams that might have a chance.
0: Would you ju- would I you like, just go out why not go out? Why not go top sixteen all at large bids?
1: Because then your regular season doesn't matter as much. I guess it does if you're like if you're vying for one of those like 10 to 16 spots but mm-hmm. it just takes the value out of i think it would take the value out of like a conference championship
0: sure and but if then, you're a conference champion then you should already be in that
1: 16 yeah but then you're like your late november uh games that you're watching like oh who's gonna make the playoffs like right now sure. it's top four but You'll still have those games where it's not the conference championship but maybe the the game before it Mm -hmm. and so and so wins you know everyone's gonna be watching that because they want to know who's in those last spots so right i think with 16 it just waters it down a little bit too much for me like they could do it yeah it would work but i think i'd prefer 12. because then you have some intrigue you have some mystery but you're not just watering everything down especially in the top 20.
0: Yeah, I think twelve is a really great number. I think sixteen. I mean, it's obviously it's over half the top twenty-five, and the odds of a nine seed beating a one or two seed, or or even a six seven seed beating a one seed or two seed, is not that high. Now, once you get to like one through five, one through you know one through five, okay, then you kind of give it that chance.
1: Uh, I think the other thing would be like how do you make it work with the, the bowls? Sure. Like, do you want those bowl games to survive? Or if you do like a 16 team playoff, is it just home games until the national championship?
0: I would assume home games until and you get neutral to four. Side? I would get, to, I would assume home games until you get to four.
1: Okay. I mean, that would still work, but yeah. I'm
0: and then with, think, twel- they with 12, they want to survive
1: unless it's the Rose bowl then you can just trash it. But,
0: because because if you ask the teams, if you ask the top four teams, hey, what do you want to do? You want to play a game or do you want to go to your university, maybe see your family, take the week off, train, whatever they're going to do to re- recuperate your bodies? Like if it's up to the top four teams, my guess is they don't want to play that team. They don't want to prepare for that team. They want to prepare for one of the two teams they are watching on TV and they want to recover their bodies because the season has taken a toll. And so that's how I can see it on the player side 100%. And I think that works really well. Again, it's eight, a group of eight teams are going to clash homes for the first round. And then you go to bowls after that or something like that. Um, and then, um, then you go from there. I mean, but then like the money making aspect of ESPN, ABC, yada yada, Fox says 16 would work just fine but if it were up to the the players in the players union which like i'm not like casting shade at the players union for like holding ncaa 24 hostage but it's been it's like been greenlit now so apparently that's happening in next summer so that's something to look forward to for all new next-gen consoles um is that the players union might have a say in something that says they're not going to play a 16 team playoff in that it would be twelve and four. Do you, could you see a situation where the players would say we would not like to play another game in that aspect, especially if you earned it to be that top I could four? Could see him
1: doing that, but then quickly abandoning like it the, if they're not a part of the top yeah. four. Yeah, <laughs> because like I like I get it, like the players want to be in charge and like they should have a say in everything.
0: Sure, but they're the one that
1: makes it when go. You look at conference realignment no one gives a shit about the players in conference realignment. It's that's about crazy. who it's about ESPN and ESPN. No matter how smart the players are and how organized they are, ESPN is always going to win. It's correct.
0: And I think it's the, I, I think it's the, the end game.
1: Yeah. That's why OU and Texas are leaving a year early because ESPN wants it. You're not wrong. At all. And they paid $50 million. Yeah. It helps. It helps. It helps to do those things. Which I think they should be reimbursed because they saved the Big 12.
0: That's like... 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 Big 12 fans... I don't know. Like, now they're just, like, hanging out. Like, they were the saltiest... I'm not going to say bad words about them because I have good friends that the majority
1: of... Doug Gottlieb came on the podcast and just basically... (laughs) Bitch for 30 minutes. Like, yeah, it's over. The whole thing's done. The Big 12's done. Yeah. It, and it, now all of a sudden, the Big done. 12's the. They're talking about the Big 12 being as competitive as the Big 10. Yeah.
0: Yeah. I saw that. If, oh like, my God. I saw if that. If that's
1: true, then you have to write a thank you note to OU in Texas for leaving and then subsequently getting Bob Bosby fired, which saved the conference. Do
0: you think things are different if Brett Yormark is around? 10 years ago? No, not 10 years ago. I think it, it would have.
1: I think the grant of rights would have been extended a little bit, but I think in the long run, too much money for OU and Texas and the SEC.
0: Because I, because do you think the UCLA USC move to the big 10 happens? If OU to, to and Texas to S- SEC does not happen.
1: No, because that was pure, purely reactionary.
0: And so Big that, 10. and then
1: obviously, USC and UCLA kind of looked at it like, oh, shit. you know, Pac 12 next. Yeah. yeah.
0: And so, like, with that said, OU in Texas starts this chain reaction of melting the Pac 12, saving the Big 12 as far as, oh, you don't just have 12 teams now you have like 16 teams and to have like another super conference and then you know it's 16 teams you know they're not all bad teams but they're not necessarily the best teams they are kind of middle of the road for the most of them and some of them will have their really really good years let's be honest And it's created a sense of anybody could win this conference if they had really good recruiting cycles for two to three years or for just two years or really great juco's coming in. And so it's really intriguing to think about that. And I think you're right with like with the aspect to, I think the grand rights would have been extended a little bit just, but I think the end game ultimately just because of the Texas longhorn network being an issue and not ever, and them not giving that money up. So, Oklahoma also wanted what they thought they deserved for carrying the Big 12 on their backs, and they got what they wanted. And so, they saved the Big 12. USC and UCLA did the Pac 12 far more dirty because, of course, Washington and Oregon were quick to follow suit. And now you have no conference really on the West Coast unless it's the whack
1: the washington oregon thing's interesting because they they waited so long for like the yep. four corners and everybody to make their decision obviously colorado made their decision first but yep. the writing was on the wall with arizona arizona state and utah where the yep. big tents like hey like you don't have anywhere else to go and like the acc you're not going to make as much money here, there so why don't you take like a half share or like a 60 percent share and come join the uh the big 10 so oregon i think got hosed there
0: lincoln riley has to be in hell thinking about going to the west coast where nobody really besides utah who plays the hard nosed the style play in oregon and it was like oh at usc are you kidding me going to get all the main major recruits, basically going to kill it and smash at the top of the the Pac-12 every single year, go to the college football playoff yearly, probably have a Heisman guy every year every other year. And suddenly, and this is why many are suggesting um, that he would probably end up in the pros pretty soon, is that now he goes to a conference where they take Washington, who's shown that they can be good. They haven't been that great as of late, Washington, who, no, Washington, Oregon, who is good. And then you go to a conference full of teams that want to beat the hell out of your other team with their offensive lines, which don't match up too well with Benny Wiley's workout regimen. And then it includes, of course, AHA state, Michigan, Penn state, and a whole bunch of other teams that just kill the clock. And stuff that are not conducive to the style of play link Lincoln Raleigh. So, I th- I think, you know, things just happen for a reason. <laughs> there might be a God. Stone it out Maybe. there. No, I'm just kidding. Maybe. Don't tell FSU you know. that, though. Don't tell until get their thousands of other religions either, you know. But, you know, it, it, it's interesting. So, um, yeah, gosh. I think 12 is the right move. But even though Money Talks, ESPN, ABC, whatever, Fox, I could see 16. Anybody's going to tune in to play a football, regardless if you're a fan of that team or not. That's just simply the facts. So anything you want to plug? We're about an hour and a half almost.
1: That's a long podcast. I guess it is the beginning of a, a football season. So.
0: Let's talk about Let's talk about um,
1: one other thing is i think we'll get an announcement not recruiting related but football related tailgating related we'll say that tailgating related
0: is is are you leaning towards good or not good
1: good oh okay they may have done something right they being oh. though you brass whoever makes the decisions there so sounds like good news I like good news you like good news yeah and I always find it on discord so you should join that
0: 100% join the discord
1: uh, talking recruiting obviously Williams-Wanary the panic and the uh, the hope is all in there right now I'm watching it Um, OU football we're talking about camp Uh, I think Thunder basketball is talking about something I usually tune out because I'm just so disappointed as a fan yeah (laughs) But it's all in there. we're We're talking about it pretty much eighteen hours a day. So
0: things are popping in different channels. and it's it's just so impressive to me the amount of personalities and the amount of people that are just are just populated every time. it's it's a great place. And honestly, it's a great community. Actually, I haven't even told Steven. Steve doesn't even know. We're going to be podcasting with the most likely with the Just Okay Boys at their podcast with Daryl and them in a couple weeks. So uh, that's something to look out for. I like a, I like a good crossover as well. So a little breaking news fun. there. Yeah, I know. On the pod. And they're, and they're great to podcast with too. So uh, yeah, I think that's some good news. Fall jump in the discord i'll put it in the bio of this link you can follow steven at oh you updated sb you can follow me at k underscore Moravian. thank you guys for listening to the podcast thanks guys for always supporting us um just drop a five-star rating review etc uh we'd really appreciate it and well we'll check you guys later